a garden, a tree, and a command. What does this have to do with me today? <laughs> uh, we're going to get into this in our study today and answer some of those questions. I look forward to doing it with you. See you in a little bit. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Richmond, and this is the Dwelling Richly Bible Study, where we love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are women who enthusiastically and intentionally dwell in the Word and let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. You can find Bible studies and video teaching like this on my blog and the Dwelling Richly podcast. Subscribe to this channel, hit that little church bell so you can get notified whenever I drop a new video. Let's get into the Word. All right, welcome back. It's uh, lesson three and we're on day four. Today we're going to read through Genesis chapter two, eight through 17, a familiar passage, I think, for a lot of us who grew up in the church. But today looking at it with adult eyes and understanding things a little differently in terms of the ancient Near Eastern context that this was written and giving us just a sense of a grown-up look at this passage in the Bible. I think it's going to be important and help us to grow more um go deeper in our understanding of who God is and uh, what he has for each of our lives as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at our study today, open with prayer and uh, take some time to uh, get our brains and our mind and body and all that is involved ready for this lesson. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for those attending and listening in, joining us in our study today. Bless our time together to your glory and also to our benefit, Lord, that we can understand you better. That's what we want to do. So thank you for being here with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get into our study now. And again, this is from Lesson 4 of the Genesis Lost and Found study. We are in uh, Lesson 3, sorry, Day 4. And uh, we're going to read a uh, passage here from Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. And as we are doing that, we want to be thinking about also our parallel scripture from Psalm. We're uh, in Psalm 139, kind of paralleling and finding those connections uh, as we read through this passage. So let's go ahead and jump into the scripture with our focus today on the idea of place and purpose as we read through. I'll get the scripture um, read out loud. You can listen along and uh, join me in whatever translation you're reading from. I'll be in the New English translation again today. The Lord God planted an orchard in the east in Eden, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. Now a river flows from Eden to water the orchard, and from there it divides into four head streams. The name of the first is Pishon. It runs through the entire land of Havilah, there is, uh, where there is gold. The gold of that land is pure. Pearls and lapis lazuli are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It runs through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Assyria. The fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and maintain it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat fruit, uh, you may eat freely. <laughs> Let's try that again. You may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. All right. So we have a, an orchard, garden, tree and this command. All right, so I didn't ask you specifically in today's lesson to connect with Psalm 139. We did do that on day two of the study. 
And so maybe you already have some ideas of what that looks like to you and how you're engaging. But I do want to call your attention to verse 17 here where David writes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And and as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about David's love for an interest in God's thoughts. And so we first have this command given by God here in Genesis. And I'm wondering, in my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, how would that have impacted Adam, the first man, as he was hearing God's command or God's thoughts and what, what he thought of that as he engaged there. So something to think about and a parallel to make with Psalm 139. All right, taking a look at number one, our first uh, question to kind of get us thinking into the scripture, understanding God's purpose. What was God's special plan for mankind in Genesis 1, 26 through 30? And how do you see it played out in Genesis 2, 4 through 9? All right, let's take a look at that. I have the scripture called up here um, from Genesis 1, 26 through 30, which says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Um, and the, uh, over the cattle, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the animals of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has living breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So how do you see this played out now in Genesis 2, 4 through 9, where we read uh, this one tree that is, you don't get to have this. You get everything else that's in this world that I've created for you, not this. God is setting a distinction and saying, look, this is my grace to you. This is what I'm providing for you. And this tree here is off limits. This is a no for you. <laughs> this is my command. You've got everything else. And this is the, this is no, uh, you don't get to, you don't get to have this. And so, um, the God's special plan for mankind is to give him rule and dominion over all his creation, but this is isolated from the rest of that, and this is not for man to partake in. And God's boundaries were extremely clear um, as he engaged with the with mankind in that and said, no, no, not to this. We'll dig a little more into that as we move through our study and especially in our discussion time and in the message coming up at the end of this study. Uh, but for now, um, take that of care and thought and, and consider how what that looks like in in your thought process and how you're trying to separate that tree from everything else that God said and then why God would say no to this particular tree curious about your thoughts and uh, leave a comment there below as you're thinking that through I'd like to hear from you on that all right number two we're gonna do some more thinking and some imagining today in this lesson you're an Israelite the only life you've ever known is as a slave in Egypt the only life your mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and on back for 400 years has ever known. Slave life in Egypt. Describe your life. Consider looking up information on ancient Egypt to help you with the concept of this time. Um, a typical day. 
um, how and what you worship, um, what the what your land, your surroundings are like, and your sense of hope and future and identity. Uh, there's a lot of resources on the internet that you can check, take a look at, and and read up on on Egyptian. In fact, if you've got a a, a child at home who's going through in California, we're going through in sixth grade uh, social studies or history. They're going to study uh, ancient civilizations and Egypt would be that. You can just grab your kid's curriculum and take a look at that as well. But just to give you some of my thoughts as we walk through here, a typical day, of course, you are a slave. You are in Egypt and as an Israelite, you're a slave. So your life is ruled by uh, the rules of the land of Egypt that you're in. And what you're what you're producing is going to be for the pharaoh and for the leaders and of course you know to some degree your family but what you're producing is going to be for uh, the rule of Egypt now um, how or what you worship this would have varied if you were um, embracing the gods of the, the Egyptians um, you're gonna worship Pharaoh you're gonna who's you know God's in God's place in, in a sense in the kingdom um, Ra and all of, and the sun god um, the Nile, the river, the, the, the animals, the beasts, those are all representative of gods and those are the things that you're going to end up worshiping. Uh, if, you're, if you are remaining true to the one true God, the God that Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob, then uh, you're not going to be worshiping that. And of course, if you know the story of Moses and how he was set apart by his mother, it was because his mother feared the one true living God and not the false gods of Egypt. So what was the land and your surroundings and what did they look like? Well, we know from the Bible record that uh, the Israelites were given the land of Goshen. Uh, this is outside of Egypt, you know, center and the proper land of Goshen. But it was a, a land that they could produce food for them. Um, and it would have been near to the Nile River. And uh, so the land that they have is isolated to their But they get to stay on. The Israelites get to stay on. But it, and it is outside of Egypt. Um, you know, the proper part of Egypt where the Egyptians get to live. They're outside of that and they are in their own area. And this was called the land of Goshen. And then what is your sense of hope, future and identity? Well, as you can well imagine as a slave, you don't have a lot of hope, future. Uh, your identity is that of being a slave and your hope is, you know, depending on, a, you know, a, if you if you take in your personal, your personality as of right now and put yourself back in that day, I would ask you to think, you know, what is your hope and your future and what do you think about today? And that would probably influence your choices then in terms of how you think. So for me, I would have hope in the one true God. My future would be hoping for deliverance from slavery and my identity would be in the one true God. Um, but I would be a slave. And so my identity to some degree is found in that and in the multiple generations of my family that came before me being identified as, you know, as a slave and all that. So those are things I want you to be thinking about in terms of the readers of this and or the hearers of this account in Genesis when Moses first delivered it to them, how they would have identified and what they would have thought of, what their past was like. And this will help inform us as we move through the study and help us to really get into their mind in a sense and how they would have received and first read uh, Genesis or had it read to them if they weren't literate, right? All right, so we're going to draw a simple sketch of Eden here, number three. Uh, label each river and land mentioned in 2, 10 through 14. Use a map in your Bible for help. Um, I grabbed my Bible here. This is my uh, ESV study Bible. Very 
thick, lots of maps and good information. Grab yours, take a look at that. You can also just Google that online. I would recommend that you make sure you're using a map of ancient, you know, that that time and label it accordingly and then take that picture, uh, let's see it and uh, and get that listed up there on Instagram, Facebook or social media. Share it in the group and I would love to hear from you on that. And then as you um, move forward, um, you know, continue to update, drop a comment, leave your thoughts, because here we go. Number four, anything missing? <laughs> Were you able to accurately label uh, the map of Eden as described in the Bible, why or why not? So you probably discovered as you were drawing it and you saw, you know, the names of the four rivers that are, are listed there, the Tigris, the Euphrates, let me get that called back up here on our screen, and um, the Pishon, and uh, the entire land of Havilah, and dividing it into these four head streams, we have the Gihon, the Pishon, and the Tigris, and then the Euphrates. Are you able to label all of those? And no, you're not, because two of those rivers don't exist today. And there's some conjecture as to where they might um, have come from. And if you'll read in any archaeology or any maps, you'll find that um, they, you know, landforms change. Things happen that change the landform, and because of that change, we only have two of those rivers that we can identify today, and that would be the Tigris and the Euphrates with pretty good certainty. And the other two rivers, the Pishon and the Gihon, we don't know exactly where they were. All right? All right, number five, uh, considering context. So imagine Moses describing Eden to the Israelites 400 years as slaves in Egypt under the rule of Egyptian law, um, the customs, the leadership of the Pharaoh, now triumphantly delivered. The Egyptians drown in the sea and they're being led by the true God through the desert to a promised land. Moses is given the toledote of the heaven and earth, culminating in the creation of man and God resting as the ruling creating Lord, Yahweh, and king over all. Consider the wording of the description of Eden. All right, so with all of that in mind, I've asked you to imagine yourself as an Egyptian, what your future and hope would have looked like, and now Egypt has been vanquished and you are headed to the promised land. What aspects of the garden suggest luxury, royalty, and abundance? If you go back through this, you can see some pretty luxurious sounding uh, accommodations in a sense or descriptions here. So river flows, a river in and of itself would have been luxurious and a sign of abundance, right? From uh, and an orchard would be as well, and it divides into these four head streams. The Pishon runs through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. So gold is obviously there uh, in terms of a sign of abundance. Gold of that land is pure. In other words, it's very good. Again, a sign of luxury, royalty, and abundance. And then we have pearls and lapis lazuli also there. Again, a sign of luxury, royalty, and abundance. And we have this other river, the Gihon, and it runs to the land of Cush, third river, Tigris, and Assyria. So the, the lushness of it, all these rivers flowing through, this is abundance. And then the gold and the lapis lazuli and the pearls, all signs of um, luxury and royalty and things that the wealthy get to have, right? So this is all described in what the this area looks like. So describe how you think the impact of this imagery would have had on ancient Israelite um, experiencing freedom from under the rule of Egypt. How do you think they would have felt about the Lord God 
so grateful and in awe and thankful because you now have this identity that's associated rather than this poor slave life in this cast off land in Goshen. You are you are hearing about this this lush land that God has provided and and that the God of creation, true God, provides abundantly for his people. Gold, lapis lazuli, pearls, all the water watering the land and I would I would imagine for me myself being there being in kind of in awe of that and so thankful of God's amazing provision. So what's growing in the garden here, number six? What's growing in the middle of this garden? Write or draw your answer from Genesis 2, 9. So I went ahead and included in this page, you'll see at the top here, a tree at uh, Amy, uh, our, our collaborating artist here with me in this uh, study, how she drew a tree, and maybe you can use that as inspiration and use the space alongside here and up and through your whole lesson to, um, you know, to illustrate that uh, and tag it and share it. Let's hear it. D hashtag dwelling richly. Let me see those trees that you have growing in the middle of that garden. All right. Number seven, you had one job. <laughs> what was the man's job in the garden? Let's take a look. He said, um, I'll scroll down here so you can see that. He said, the Lord God took the man, placed him in the orchard in the garden to care for it and maintain so to care for it and to maintain it all right number eight my house my rules what was god's do and don't command he said you may freely eat from every tree of the orchard do there's the do eat it up every tree of this orchard but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what will be the consequences well it's simple when you eat you will surely die so think about it. What do you think was the purpose of placing a man in the Garden of Eden instead of him letting roam the earth? So he's in this area. You're not roaming the earth. You're in this area. And uh, why? Why would God put man in that area and explain to him all the things he can do and then say, you can't do this one thing here? Um, we're going to talk about this more. I was like, should I talk about it now? No, we're going to talk about this more in a future lesson as well as at length in the message coming up. So that wraps us up then for uh, this portion of our, our study time together. And I do want to close just reminding you of our memory verse, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And for you to continue to go back and read that and connect with that. Uh, let's go ahead and sing it together. And uh, yesterday I said that I would... Uh, wrap it up and sing the whole thing for you and I ended up not doing that so I think I'll go ahead and do it for you today um, but it's based on the other po an other portion in the in um, uh, in, in Psalm 139 it, it comes before verses 23 and 24 and it's the part that begins how precious to me are your thoughts O God how vast is the sum of them so I'll start there and then this part and then you guys can hear the whole thing all together and uh, we'll wrap it up on that note how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber all the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you, I am still with you. When I awake, I am still with you. I am still with you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way, any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting, in your everlasting way. And lead me in the way everlasting, in your everlasting way. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. <laughs> All right, so that's the full part of the song. And one of these days, I'll get my guitar back out and play it through for you. But I hope it helps you to memorize it and go back through and repeat that and sing it. It's just a, a sweet, simple little soft melody that I enjoyed writing and enjoyed teaching to my students many years ago and enjoy singing it and teaching it with you as well. All right. Thanks for being here with me today in our Bible study. And know, as always, that you are loved and prayed for. And I look forward to being back here again with you real soon. Bye-bye for now.